Good evening, I'm Sam, an alcoholic, member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't want to tell you how to run your meeting, but are there any other alcoholics here tonight? Thank you. God. I've had a recurring nightmare of waking up in an Al-Anon meeting. Afraid it has finally happened. Uh, Sam gave me a list of 23 words I can't use tonight. Here they are, if you'd like to hear them. Uh, I feel pretty good. I picked up three dollars that fell off the money tree. Uh, and it's a full moon. I don't mind full moons. I get out. I, I'm still a sinner. I sin a lot, as a matter of fact. Every chance I get at my age, I better do it, you know, while I still can. <laughs> I spent two days this week coveting my neighbor's wife. <laughs> Why not? If you're wondering about relationships, uh, do it. Do it. As soon as you're able to get it up, get it on. Uh, relationships don't cause nearly as much trouble as discussion meetings. Because that's usually what they discuss. Of course, at least some of them I've been going to lately. I've, God damn it. I live in Los Angeles, and uh, there's some strange groups there. They're so far removed from A&A, I don't know what the hell's going on over there. Oh, I was raised in a primitive AA. I've been sober two years longer than God. And I'm an AA atheist. That's somebody that doesn't believe in Clancy. Uh, I was raised in primitive AA in Venice where the only requirement for membership was breathing. We didn't have any traditions there. Every man for himself. We'd pass the basket and go right out the back door. And our, our group wasn't very large and it was always poor. Nobody had any money in those days. And so we'd go to a rich group and pass our own basket. And steal literature. Our literature rack was a who's who of AA groups in the beach area in Los Angeles. Anyway, how I got there, uh, rather tragic. <laughs> Most AA stories are, really. Uh, uh, I'm into, into drama, uh, that sort of thing. I did a lot of that. I've overacted quite a good deal in my sobriety, as a matter of fact. It, what was it she said? I can't go on this way? I said that a month ago. I, I'll leave you with no hope. Or very little, maybe. Get your own hope. You don't need many of mine. It's, uh, I can't tell you that I've survived. I've survived a lot of things. I've survived a lot of it because I wanted to. But when I was drinking, I didn't want to do much of anything except keep on drinking. I don't know how you people drank, but I did a lot of it. I drank anything that had alcohol in it that was too thin to chew. That's 
because it, it might work, and most of the time it did for me, and if it didn't, then I switched to something else. I do not identify with people who specialize. They say, well, my drink was scotch or something. I damn, should have gone on a little longer, I think. Because I also love pills. I liked amphetamines. I bullshitted myself that they enhanced my intelligence. <laughs> what they did was speed up my mouth. So I had a combination of an amphetamine mouth and a Demerol brain. And <laughs> about did me in. I got into a lot of fights. <laughs> I, I've been in jail a lot, too. Jesus, I, I was a big shit magnet for the police. I just couldn't make a move. I couldn't go from one bar to the other if they were next door to each other. I got caught. I tried alleyways. didn't work. got me there, too. But uh, I come from a family of alcoholics, and uh, when I was a kid, I promised myself I ain't ever going to drink. No way am I ever going to drink because I don't want to end up like my relatives. I was uh, institutionalized as a child because we spent all of our weekends in visiting rooms of penitentiaries, visiting relatives. Well, it's the only time I ever traveled. I didn't know anything else. <laughs> I didn't even, I had no idea what the capital of the state was, but I knew where the state penitentiary was. I've been there a lot of times, even the women's penitentiary. I, God, I've got some ants that are... The first uh, time I ever went to jail as a so-called adult, I got nine felonies against me, and I got thrown in there. My Uncle Bill was already in there. He was doing 90 days for drunken disorderly and knocking the hell out of Aunt Gussie. She's next door in the women's jail doing 90 days for drunken disorderly and trying to knife my Uncle Louie, which she did every Saturday night. We didn't think anything about it. So. We were kind of with her. We didn't like him either. Anyway, uh, my father came to see us that first visiting day that I, while I was in there, and he was drunk, so they arrested him in the visiting room. <laughs> threw him in with us, and every time I was in jail, that's the way it was, relatives, and a lot of friends. And I was in jail a lot, although I, when I was much younger, my mother sentenced me to eight years in a Catholic school where I majored in guilt. with a minor in shame. That's their biggie over there. Uh, they sure laid it on me. After a while, I got so when I had to go to this confession thing, I just, I elaborated on it. I just picked up stories from my aunts and uncles and laid it on him, you know. I said, well, let's see what he comes up with this time. Because I was still saying the penance from the week before, uh, a little slow. Anyway, I, I did get a good academic education out of those people, but that's about all I got. Uh, after I had been there for a couple of years, it took me that long to learn to say yes ma'am and no ma'am. I became an altar boy, sang in the choir, and got straight A's in school, and kept them off my ass, which is the reason I did that. Otherwise, I never really tried to be a so-called good person as such. I, my Aunt Betsy had told me when I was five years old, don't try and be good and grow up be a son of a bitch like your father, because you're just like him. And by the time I was 25, I'd overshot the field, because I bumped into Aunt Bessie one day on the street and she said to me, you are the grand finale of son of a bitches in this family. So I knew I'd done something wrong. 
You haven't missed a thing. Come right on in. I'm sorry. I'm just... I'm used to the Venice group. My God, what goes on there is beyond belief on some nights. Somebody mentioned the book down there once. Shocked us. <laughs> anyway, um, when I had all those felony counts, I was 18 years old. I had already been in a reform school. I'd been in jail otherwise. I was married. I was a father. And I hadn't had anything to drink. So I can't blame it on the bottle, the things that had happened to me. And I got sentenced to the penitentiary. I did uh, 19 months the first time. I got out and I started to drink. And when I started to drink, I realized what a fool I was for not starting earlier. Because I loved the bottle. My God, I loved that bottle. I loved all those drugs, too. And so I used and drank as long as I possibly could, and then two years longer. Which is the way I think most alkies do. My higher power hit bottom two years before I did. See, that's what happened. But I kept right on going. I have sense enough to quit. By that time, there was a lot of brain damage. I didn't know which way it was up, down, sideways. I didn't care. I, uh, Jesus, uh, my whole life was just a, a mess and had been for a lot of years. I was involved in a, a lot of strange and sick situations that I got myself into. I'm not blaming anybody else. Although for a lot of years I tried to blame my family, the way I was raised, all the guilt that was shoved up my navel in that Catholic school, I blamed a lot of other things. But in the end, I had to take the responsibility for my own actions. Well, I've had a lot of help <laughs> getting into the gutter. Because I bypassed silk sheets. I just started at the bottom and laid there. I never went anyplace. A world traveler on my living room floor. Uh, by the time I was 22 years old, I was hooked on everything I'd tried and was looking for more. And uh, people called me an addict and a dope fiend and all kinds of names. I didn't care, just a, more labels. Could have cared less about that. It didn't bother me because my family's reputation and uh, my thinking pretty bad. When I was 23, 24 years old, I ran into a mathematical genius, a pillhead. Of course, all pillheads are geniuses. And this one was a bookkeeper, and he figured out how to fill out income tax forms and get money back, even though I didn't work there. We did it for three years. Third check arrived. Two weeks later, the police arrived. And I had used my father's name, so they arrested my father for it. Out of that. My father was drunk all the time. He thought he had done it, so it was no problem. So my father went into court and pled guilty, and uh, I put him away and, uh, while he was in the federal penitentiary. Uh, the old bastard sobered up. He found Alcoholics Anonymous, and he never took another drink the rest of his life. But he never knew that I 12-stepped him. My father is the rottenest man I've ever met in my life, with few exceptions. Uh, 
And he went to Alcoholics Anonymous and stayed sober, and I couldn't figure it out. First, I thought it was because of the parole officer. He got off parole, and he went anyway. And I thought, well, he's the treasurer. He's stealing the money. I didn't know AA was broke. And so in the end, he showed me the way to Alcoholics Anonymous, although I had several more years to go. I lived in a place where drugs were cheap and available, and that kind of people around. There's lots of guns and knives and other things, and I was a witness to a killing, and I wanted to be an alive witness, and so I ran. I didn't know what else to do. When in doubt, drink. When in doubt, cut out, and that's what I did. I went home to Mama. Is any good 30-year-old doesn't. <laughs> Mama had been to Al-Anon. The very first thing she did was get me up against the wall and release me. <laughs> and said in her blunt Al-Anon way, you son of a bitch, you can stay here for ten days or two weeks, and then you get your goddamn ass out of here. You got that? I'll put it in writing for you. And she knew I was loaded and going to stay loaded, and I did. By this time, uh, the last two years of that, and I still had two more to go, I was a downer-type person. I loved it when it rained. I carried three suicide notes and a razor blade for emergencies. I always hung around people that were ready to do it. <laughs> and we listened to a lot of fine music that helped us get there. We listened to a lot of Judy Garland and Billie Holiday, that people would leave you with no hope. And while I was there with Mama, my brother came running from the police, and one morning we were puking together, and he says to me, if our luck holds out, we'll be dead by noon. Now, that's the way I drank and lived. I didn't live, really. I existed. So I moved to Venice, California, and I lived there for two more years. I lived in an apartment building that was full of other lower companions like myself. The girl next door was a girl that I identified with in a lot of areas because she came home every night from work, and she brushed her teeth, turned on the gas, and went to bed. She'd made suicide a way of life, as I had. <laughs> um, I called my father at Christmas time after I'd lived there for a couple of years, and the only time he would accept a collect call from me, he suggested that I go to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I said to him, what for? I was still trying to cover it and hide it from people. He knew. He knew a lot. Because he mentioned the drugs. And I said, what drugs? He said, I know you're smoking that goddamn weed. Now don't go to a meeting loaded. Quit it if you can and get over there. And I, for some reason, I paid attention to him and I did it. It took me two days to quit everything. I quit the whole goddamn works and I went. I didn't like the first meeting that I went to because it was one of those forest lawn hemorrhoid groups where the average age of the group was deceased. Which has nothing to do with physical age. They're just dead and they haven't been buried yet. I uh, didn't like what I heard there. They didn't mention pills. I didn't mention pills. They didn't mention marijuana. I didn't mention marijuana. They just kept talking about drinking a little here and there. The first speaker I ever heard said that she'd wet her pants twice when it came to AA. Uh, Wait till they hear what I've done.
I even had my puking down so good I could watch television and make sure that I puked during the commercial. <laughs> I wet my pants all the time. I didn't think anything about it. It's part of the hazards of drinking. Everybody knows that. <laughs> anyway, I went to a meeting the next night, and there was a man sharing, and he said that his mother had given him a horse for Christmas. It cost her $10,000, and he got drunk and kept falling off the horse. Uh, what am I doing here with these people? i got to get out of here. But I stayed 10 days, and I stayed clean for 10 days, and at the end of 10 days, I smoked some weed. Because it had been a rather dreary 10 days. Uh, naturally, I got thirsty, so I drank. And then I got drowsy, so I took some pills. But I had heard about lower companions, and I knew what I was. And so I came back to Alcoholics Anonymous after slipping for a week, and I asked a man where a lower companion meeting was, and he took me over to the corner of Pico and Alvarado to the, a group called the End of the Line. <laughs> At the beginning of the meeting, they asked for announcements, and a man stood up and said that he was sinking into a depression and was going to kill himself, and he wouldn't be at the meeting next week, so... <laughs> wanted to say goodbye to all of his friends and thought, God damn, this is my kind of people here. <laughs> the leader said to him, go ahead and do it, you son of a bitch, nobody likes you anyway. <laughs> a few minutes into the meeting, uh, through the side door came three dykes. Uh, Two sober, uh, one drunk, and as they came through the door, the drunken one dropped her purse, out fell a gun, a bottle, and a dildo. And the sober ones got to fighting over the contents of the purse, and the leader made them go outside and left the drinking one there, and uh, she sobered up, and she's, uh, she's still sober today. From the very beginning, she was up front about things. She says, hi, I'm Aggie the Dyke. Uh, Aggie and I are still friends today. We still go to meetings and terrorize. <laughs> Get a chance to. Aggie says, sit down. My advice is sit down. She's 6'3", got a flat top haircut. Rides one of the meanest motorcycles I've ever seen. Got tattoos of obscene words on her arms <laughs> and other places. <laughs> right here, she got one that says hi. <laughs> My favorite story about Aggie is a couple of years ago, she and I went to terrorize the Brentwood group by our physical presence. We just sat down and Aggie went to get us some coffee and while I was gone, somebody says, who in the hell is that? I said, oh, it's my friend Aggie and uh, he'd seen us come in on the motorcycle too, so he says, god damn, I bet she could kick start at 747. <laughs> now, Aggie and I have been sober since that time, and uh, I'm sober last January. It was 27 years. Now, Aggie says she's sober because she was made welcome at that group. 
and I firmly believe that that should say it for Alcoholics Anonymous. The only requirement for membership is breathing, maybe. Get in here and use this thing. She has dug into those steps, and she is a marathon 12-stepper. She's very busy. She's got all kinds of people she sponsors. What, they work the steps or else? <laughs> But she's a human being and a hell of a human being. And I value that friendship and I value the continuity of it. I've never done anything in a stretch in my life except time in the penitentiary or something. But otherwise, in Alcoholics Anonymous, this is where I have found a way to go for a person like me and others that works. I've, it's, it's happened in my life, so I know it. I've seen it in other lives and I know it there, too. I see the evidence of it. I've known uh, himself here for a long time. I like the continuity of that and seeing him once in a while. And we don't have to say much to each other. It's just seeing each other and being there because we have a lot of good memories. Being uh, at some goddamn good meetings together. I like that. And I've I've been to some meetings where uh, they left me with no hope at all. I left there and I wanted to drink. It was so bad some nights because that's the way it is. And sometimes when I hear some of these tra-la-la stories in Alcoholics Anonymous, I don't believe them. I've been to bad meetings. They were just bummers. I learned patience and tolerance by staying as a goddamn thing. I learned resentment and I had to practice that and get rid of it and whatever. But I've been to some great meetings too where that feeling was there and you could slice it with a knife and there was more than enough of it for everybody that was in that meeting that wanted it. And so latch on to it at those meetings. I follow meetings that have some heart and soul and feelings, and that's what they talk about, instead of a bunch of bullshit out of the past that always... I've gotten rid of the past. I paid attention to Doc Smith, one of the co-founders, and where he said in an article on the grapevine, bury the past and don't revisit the grave too often. And I was the type of person that falls into a rut, I'll hang pictures and invite a decorator in. I'm not going to move. I don't care if it's a good rut or a bad rut or whatever. I'll stay there. I keep my bad habits. I resist change. Uh, and so I've had uh, some problems since i come here. I'm a professional balker. And I knew that book was badly written, and uh, those steps are for the fanatics. I was told my sponsor, says, they sound like the 12 threats. I don't want to mess with those goddamn things. I'm still bleeding from that encounter. I had a sponsor that could tell you to go to hell in such a nice way you were looking forward to the trip. He always told me the truth and he translated my bullshit. He had bullshit filters in his ears. And uh, most newcomers, uh, in my experience anyway, could fertilize a 40-acre field uh, in 10 minutes. (laughs) Some of the old-timers, too. I've gone through a lot of uh, changes in Alcoholics Anonymous that I didn't like. Uh, It was mentioned here tonight about growing up. Uh, I'm still trying to do that uh, in some areas. I'm I'm just not very adult. There was a period in my sobriety when I was very adult. Oh, I was so adult it was sickening. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. I stood around at meetings and posed as a human being. (laughs) Stood near the coffee pot and looked good. 
and I have some material possessions that I use to help do that. I bought a Cadillac convertible, pulled it up in front of the Venice AA meeting where you had to go over it, under it, or through it to get into the meeting. Make sure that they knew whose car that was. And so I've had to work those steps several times. I couldn't just run through them. And I was here six or seven weeks and I was doing an inventory. And then a year later I did an honest inventory. It was certainly more honest than the other one. And then a year later I did an honest inventory. It was certainly more honest than the other one. And it's been a succession of those since then. I, yes, I still take inventories. I do it twice a year whether I need it or not. And I take the time off from everything to do that. I need, and I write the damn thing. And I read it to someone else. Because I need to hear what I've put down on paper. And sometimes I need to hear what I say to other people if I let my mind function and flow. And I have learned to do that here by practice. I've practiced living in the here and now. I know what it is to live in the past and in the future because it was always so much better there. The good old days. These are the good old days. You know, 20 minutes after I was born, I was longing for the good old days. Someplace else. The only reason I came out of there was because I'd written on all the walls. told my mother if I had a light and something to read, I never would have come out. That's how lazy I am. I'll sit back and let somebody else do the living for me. I've, done a, uh, I've been a closet human being. Uh, not today. Uh, today I live. I experience. Oh, some days I don't. Some days I want to run and hide. I know what it is to go home and, and uh, just want to uh, shut the door and, and blot everything out. I've been very lucky at I've never had a gigantic urge or compulsion to take a drink, but I certainly have had an urge to hide out for 48 hours and just get away from living and from the human race and up yours and yours and your mother's and her sister's and the whole damn family. That's <laughs> uh, the way I feel on some days. It's a sick society that we live in. I don't want to conform to it. If you don't believe me, watch the news every night. My God, look what they're doing out there. And it's not all al doing that either. I mean, this is... A lot of alkies out there stirring shit. And I feel pretty comfortable today, most of the time. It's been a rough two weeks for me. I've been working too goddamn hard. The old thing, you know, don't get too tired and too angry. And I've done the whole goddamn bit there. I was stuck in, in a job that I, I can't uh, torpedo the ship by leaving. I've had to stay, and it's beginning to get a lot easier this week. And I, I test it out, and I have sense enough sometimes to do that, because I am willing to listen to other people. I am willing to listen to my experiences that I have had over the years. I learn from those damn things, because I don't want to repeat too goddamn any of them. It's one of the reasons, I, I don't want to get out of this world now. I want to live here and enjoy this thing, because I don't want to have to come back and do it again. Because uh, I spent a lot of years... Uh, when I was a downer type person, that uh, I used to read Huxley, and he says, this is the hell of some other planet. And I said, yeah, I must have done something shitty to get sentenced to this goddamn place. I hope the hell I didn't volunteer for this mess. And, and 
So I don't delve into that so much. I don't analyze it. Uh, I would go with the old Greek and Roman philosophers that said, he who defines God defiles God. So I believe in the power that created this universe, and that's what I surrender to every day. And then I have to apply some action with that, otherwise it's just uh, bullshit, you know. A lot of my prayers for years were nothing but plea bargaining and deals. I was... <laughs> I was so... Uh, I got a streak of lazy assness in me too, where I can spend a whole day trying to turn sloth into meditation. And never get out of bed. <laughs> I have those days too, but I allow myself to do a lot of that because I'm a human being. I don't want to be that perfectionist that, that I was for several years to where I, I just couldn't move. God, I, I love to get out on the road and, and travel and experience and do things and I've been on several trips this year and just enjoyed the hell out of it. I went to all kinds of meetings where I was able to terrorize. I've been on two trips with Aggie this year. And, well, that'll do it. I mean, she really gets those little towns like, oh, hi, over near L.A. It's all kind of square and haven't done very much there, you know. Very staid. Aggie sets them straight. I enjoy life today because I am living it experiencing it. And this has only happened because I've come to Alcoholics Anonymous and I've dug into our book and I continue to do that because I don't like the alternatives. I've sat on my dead ass for time, periods of time and I paid a hell of a price for that. And I know what it is to just sit back and, well, let somebody else do it. And I've already done that. And I went through a depression about 10 years ago that had lasted several years because I had nurtured it and made sure that it did. I got back and started on step one again. I got back to doing some of the things that I was doing my first couple of years of sobriety because I, along about that time in my sobriety, I wasn't working with wet ones. They're not going to wet their pants in my car. They're not going to puke in my car. I've been sober too long for that shit. I'd forgotten. When I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, it was all I could do to get on a bus. The bus was going in the direction I wanted to go. I got on, but if the bus turned, I got off. That's how frightened I was. Here I'm complaining about somebody might puke in my car. Too damn bad. Forgotten where I came from. So I got back into those steps again, and they're numbered for we intellectuals. So I went through them in order, and it, it saved my life. I know that. That and working with new people and listening to them, filtering out their bullshit, the same as my sponsor did for me. And he guided me and helped me so much just simply by listening to me until I got rid of so much of the bullshit and was able to find my way, my path. And today, when I'm not able to find my path, I get so bad on some days, I need a seeing-eye newcomer to get the meetings. And that's what they are on a lot of days. <laughs> and I love to... That's really my only visit with the past is watching newcomers because I'm watching myself so many times. And... I'm glad to be in this room tonight and trying to look at this damn watch here. I had a watch when I came to Hey, that's a clue. Uh, time to quit, right? No. What do you mean, no? I'm a spiritual advisor and he's talking back to me. If you can't say it in 30 minutes, you can't say it. Got that? Uh, pointless to drag on. The message is, work those goddamn steps. Enjoy life. Join this thing called Alcoholics Anonymous, because this in turn was how I learned to join the human race and to be a human being and to live instead of just exist. 
I came here an aging animal. I had the attention span of a fly all over the goddamn place. Couldn't concentrate on anything. I listened to, to a lot of fine music, but I listened to it on the wrong speed because I was in a hurry, you know. I don't want to miss anything. It's always happening up the street. No matter where I was, it was the wrong place. I know that meeting over there is better. They got it on and on and on like that. And I've had to practice living in the here and now. And so I've shared my experience, strength, and scar tissue with you tonight. <laughs> we are very lucky people to be in this room. Those of you that don't know that, I'm sure most of you do, that have been around a little bit. And I'm, by that I mean over 33 days. We are so lucky. And those of us that have been sober a long time are really lucky. As I came here on my deathbed, I didn't have to take the 20 questions. I looked like them. I wasn't sure that I could make it at all when I first got here. A week, 30 days, whatever. Because I knew I was dying. And in a lot of ways, I was. And I've died since I've been here, too, in some areas. And I'm grateful for that. Get rid of the past. And I'm talking about my past of five years ago. Get rid of it. I don't need it. I live in the here and now. These are the 80s. I get sick to death of some of these old timers meetings where every goddamn one of them has got dust on their big book and all they talk about is how wonderful AA was 30 years ago. Who the hell cares? Now, these are the good old days. Live now. It's the 80s, not the 50s or whenever the hell it was. Sure, I went to some great meetings in those days. That's how I got here, to this meeting tonight. Ain't nothing wrong with this. So I live in the here and now. Practice it. I got all, everything that I know, or almost everything I know, out of that blue book, and certainly out of, uh, mostly out of A&A meetings, and I'm a one nosy son of a bitch. I've been to a lot of other places. I've been to S, and I've been to Esalen, and I've been to Primal Screams, and Anal Screams, and... I had a period of my sobriety when it was anything but work the steps. And I wanted to try those things, so I did. I'm not knocking that as such, but this is where it happens for alcoholics, is in these meetings, right here. And our communication, that is so important. Please communicate and make mistakes. I want you to see my mistakes, not just stand around and pose and look good, that sort of thing. No way. I do not flaunt my facade. I keep it torn down. I want you to see me because I want to see you and experience that communication when it happens because it is a life-saving, healing experience if I participate in it. And that's why we're so goddamn lucky to be in this room tonight. Please notice the laughter. Enjoy yourself here. I'm serious about my program but not somber or deadly about it, of course. Uh, I once saw a movie where a man says, oh, hurry up, we've got to get over here. It's a matter of life and death. And the guy turned around and says, what isn't? So uh, I don't make a big deal out of most anything anymore. I don't give a shit. So what? I don't care. Wake up on Judgment Day and find out I'm an Al-Anon. I, I'm that loose about the whole damn thing. You know, there's God telling me, oh, you damn fool, you're an Al-Anon. You went to MAA meetings all those years. Because I'd rather be in AA by mistake than out there by mistake. What if I made the other mistake? I wouldn't be alive. I know that. My God, I came in here looking so bad that uh, I'm amazed that I'm still alive. I get a Christmas card every year from a woman in San Diego named Edna MacArthur. The Christmas card says the same thing every year. Dear Sam, you're still the sickest son of a bitch I've ever seen come into Alcoholics Anonymous and stay sober for more than 90 days. Love, Edna. 
She helped me remember where I came from and how bad it was when I arrived here. Anyway, please notice the laughter here. Enjoy yourself here. Life can be such a blast if you, if you experience it and let it happen. And uh, I don't want to uh, go to the grave with, uh, you know, about 10 million things I wished I'd done. I do it. That's why I was explaining to you that, uh, earlier on that I get out and sin. I've gotten rid of my old ideas to sin, what that was, because uh, I had so much guilt connected with everything. No matter what it was, it was a no-no, it seemed like. And I wanted to do this, and I wanted to do that. And then I had the goddamn guilt on top of it, thing. No more. I've gotten rid of that word guilt. I take the word responsibility, the word responsibility for my own actions. And by God, I stand up and I'm counted for it. And it feels so damn comfortable to do that. So I'm still learning, changing, and a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's how I maintain my sobriety. So please enjoy yourself. Dig into this thing and use it so that we can all lurch along the murky road of happy destiny together. the book says trudge, but on a lot of days I lurch. I'm all over the goddamn thing. I got all over the road sobriety on some days. But on other days when something seems to be happening and I am part of it, that's when I consider myself a very lucky human being to be alive and to be able to stand upright and breathe and participate in this thing called life. So come on in here and use this thing and then don't forget to share it so that we can all lurch along the murky road to happy destiny together. That's it.